Mission Chats with John Crow. Welcome back to Mission Chats, and just want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to episode 20 already, that's the first half of this conversation with Doug Lucas, and that would be a good thing to do first, just to get an idea of where he's coming from before you listen to part two. The other thing I always love to hear, and I expect we could <laughs> do many, many of these, but I'd love to hear one or two of your favorite God stories over, over your time serving in missions and seeing the Lord at work. There's one or two things that pop to mind that you've seen God working. There are some real fun ones, John. It's nice of you to ask. I'm so grateful for the chance to share with you, John. I just want you to know that this doesn't happen very often. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's nice that somebody cares. It is wild being the president of something for 40, what has it been since 78, I guess, yeah. 45 years, because you do see a lot of workers serve all around the world. You get to know them and they become great friends. We just did our global get-together that we do every year where we try to bring all of our workers together one place. We had about 200 this year mm-hmm. over in Europe. And wow. there are a lot of fun stories. One that really sticks in my mind, I was serving as our beginning team leader in what was then the USSR. So this was mm-hmm. 1991, yep. pre-coup days. And uh, we had been starting with a church there in a part of the USSR that now has become Ukraine. And it was in the city called Kherson, which has been in the news a lot with the Russian military action there. They've shelled Kherson a lot and occupied it quite a bit. While there, we were trying to make disciples. And boy, that's a fun story in and of itself, the way God used the Jesus film and some really amazing stories to raise up a fellowship. Probably that fellowship grew to be right away around 100, 125 or so, all former communists and people that you know weren't sure what was even in the Bible, but they wanted right. to know it. Yeah. And uh, over the course, it grew to two and three hundred. And so finally, we felt like that church was okay to leave with the team there. And my family and I moved down on the Crimean Peninsula, which again has been in the news yep. recently with yeah. the way Russia has taken control of the Crimean Peninsula. And now Ukraine has responded to mm-hmm. incursions of bombings in places like Odessa and other places by bombing that bridge between what is now Ukraine and Crimea. So maybe you've seen Crimea in the news. But at this time, there was a Muslim group that had been banished by Stalin, not just banished, but actually carted away off the Crimean Peninsula. They were they were called the Crimean Tatar people. There were about, at the time, 110,000, and they had sort of seen their chance to run back to their land that they used to own before mm-hmm. Stalin threw them off. So they had come back now by the droves, and they had resettled in fields near the houses they used to live in, which now those houses were occupied by Russians and Ukrainians that mm-hmm. Stalin resettled there. So we were trying to focus on the needs of these people that had made a dash back into the peach orchards and the different kinds of open fields and just set up little shacks and shanties. So I would approach these with what little Russian I'd learned in just three or four months' time. And I would explain that I was from this town of Kherson, and that I was a man of prayer, and I'd come to pray for their village. Is there anything you'd like for me to pray for in your village? And I approached this one lady doing laundry. Her fingers were blue with the cold. There was snow on the ground. She was doing laundry outside in the cold water. And she said, well, as a matter of fact, you could. My husband's sick with pneumonia. And of course, it's understandable why, because they were living in the middle of a field in the snow. Uh, she said, but now we're Muslim. Will your prayers work? And I said, oh, I believe they will. Right. Uh, the Bible clearly says if we pray in the name of Jesus, that God will answer them. And she said, well, this is the first I've heard of this, but you're welcome. It's like, right. kind of like she looked at me, John, and said, 
knock your socks off. Right. And we'll take any help we can get. <laughs> so she accompanied me into her little shack. It's only about six or seven feet wide, right. enough to maybe have one little bed and a coffee pot. And, and I laid hands on the shoulder of her husband there. Her name was Gulia. Mm. And we prayed for him. I, I prayed for him really uh, for some time and and left. And it was getting dark. So I went back to our little apartment uh, adjacent to their village and didn't think much about it. So I came back the next day and uh, she met me at the edge of the village out in the cold and said, you know, he got better. And I hadn't even asked yet, but she said, he got better. Our neighbor family has a little newborn with mm-hmm. pneumonia. Could you pray for their baby? And I said, well, sure. And all of this was kind of astounding to me that this would right. actually be yeah. happening in a Muslim village. And uh, Gulia became what you might now call in this common verbiage, like a person of peace. She mm-hmm. would take me from one house to the next, took me to a, a lady's house named Muminyape. She was about 95, a widow, and she would gather little sticks off of the ground to try to heat up in a little salamander stove inside of her house. She was lucky enough to have a stove, just no sticks to burn in it, and yeah. certainly no coal. And uh, she took me into that house, and we prayed for Muminia, just an elderly lady. It's amazing how she would even hang on in a cold field mm-hmm. like that, and a little shanty with the wind just whistling in through the rock walls. Yeah. I mean, the only warmth that you could feel in that little shack was your hands clutching onto the tea that she made us. So we prayed for Muminya up there that day. And what she prayed for is, could you get us some coal? Mm. And fun story, John, the next day, my whole family and I, a family of four, two little kids, four and one, we went from one coal yard to the next, asking if people would consider bringing some coal in. Mm. A fun story, I went back the next morning and Gulia and all the others, Jafir, the village leader, met me and said, you, you've got to see this to believe it. And <laughs> took me to her little shack and in her front, little excuse of a lawn which is front part of her house yep some dump truck had come no with an entire load of coal and dumped it you know with the whole siren and everything beep beep yep, beep yep. backing up and dumped a whole stack of coal was higher than her rooftop wow. on her shack and jafir the village leader said there's enough coal here to eat all of our houses about 500 homes mm-hmm. little shacks in that field we can heat all 500 homes mm-hmm. for the entire winter Yep. And I was amazed. Uh, the story went on. A, a Muslim leader came and said they weren't allowed to have me there anymore. And mm. Muminya got up and walked out. And yeah. he said, why are you leaving, old lady? And she said, when have you been to my house? And he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never even been to your house before. Yeah. Exactly, she yeah, said. Right. She, and they all walked out. And yeah. little by little, they all walked. And finally, the Muslim leader left as well. Mm. The He was the imam, the mullah for the whole mm-hmm. peninsula, in fact. Based in Centropol. And uh, all that was left was Jafir, the village chief, village leader, and I. And as he walked out, I turned to Jafir with my head still lowered and said, well, Jafir, now uh, I've got to ask you, what does this mean? And and what do we do now? What What is next? Mm. And he paused for a minute. He looked back at me and said, I guess now we pray for electricity. <laughs> so it was a funny story. Eventually, eight people came to faith. And finally, after I left, another couple of dozen came to faith in that village. Mm. Uh, around 30 or so, it was wow. the first group of believers in that little village. Yeah. And, and it's a fun story. And I, yeah. and I will never forget it. I'll never I'm forget sure. it. Yeah, for sure. And again, just another beautiful example of how prayers influenced your ministry over yeah. all these years. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Doug. Very encouraging. I'm sure our listeners will yeah, be thrilled to hear uh, the way the Lord worked. Well, Doug, you've obviously got a wealth of experience in the missions world, both from leading an organization that's focused on it, but also being a part of AD 2000 and studying missions over the years in different ways as well. 
So I think this might be a, an interesting response to my next question, but I always ask my guests, how would you describe missions from your experience? Well, John, in college, in a missions class, I was taught that the definition of missions is seeing a need and feeling like we have the ability to meet that need. I think that was a Herbert Kane definition. Okay. You know, it comes from the Latin word mito and the past participle of mito, missus, which I think is really just simply defined as one who is sent. A missionary is one who is sent. And missions then would be when you're sending somebody to meet a need mm-hmm. in a very special way to meet, meet a need there. So for me, it's always meant that you're leaving what's familiar, mm-hmm. your home culture, your subsistence farm, or whatever job, your family dog, whatever was right. held dear, yeah. and going over the mountain or over the sea to a place mm-hmm. where there's a very specific need. Now, for us in Team Expansion, we've carved out that that need is a spiritual need of making disciples. But I know that our colleagues and other kinds of mission organizations would probably think it remiss if we defined them out of the picture. So broadly speaking, it's just for me that is being a need and feeling like I have the ability to meet that need and being sent. Yep. Oh, fantastic. I love that. Very good. Then kind of to wrap up our conversation today, I always love to hear... The advice you would give, so let's say one of our listeners, a young person considering you know, missions, maybe feeling the Lord, moving in their heart, pointing them in that direction, maybe at the other end of life, you know, someone retiring and, and seeing they still have years to give and wondering how they could be involved. But what advice would you give to people who are considering mission service? Well, that's nice of you to ask, John. All these questions are very humbling and sobering, but I, I hope you realize I go on and try to answer them just because... I know this is what you want me to do, but I really feel like a fellow struggler in all these things. (laughs) I do feel like now there are more training resources available Mm -hmm. at our fingertips than there have ever been in the history of missions. I mean, when I was growing up in the mid to late 70s, I had no idea what missions was, and I had to encounter that in the Bible college. But now, I think I would recommend that people would go to a website like Momentum Yes. Mm -hmm. Is that MomentumYes.com? It's a free series about the needs around the world. You can study the Bible there individually or with a group mm-hmm. and come away with a pretty good summary in like six hours of what missions is. And then if you want to go beyond that, I would recommend people go to something like More Disciples. The More Disciples website is at moredisciples.com. You can do the 30-day challenge. You can do a bunch of podcasts there. You can do a book called okay. More Disciples, which is yep. how to make more disciples. It really acts as a companion guide for the Zume course, Z-U-M-E, Greek word for yeast. Zume.training is a great website to go to. Again, it's free, 20 lessons, and you're familiar with all these, how to make disciples. I think it's two hours per session around 10 sessions, so 20 hours of training. Mm -hmm. Those are some great starting points for people that are wanting to go into missions. I feel like that they would really help you get started. There's a course called Kairos. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at simplymobilizing.com slash Kairos. And of course, Kairos is spelled K-A-I-R-O-S in this case. Mm-hmm. Simplymobilizing.com slash Kairos. And that's sort of like a favored sister of the perspectives class. And the right, perspectives right. course would be another course if you have 15 weeks to do that at a grad level. Mm-hmm. I feel like those are good starting points for people who are wanting to go into missions. If they're specifically wanting to go to a place where they would have to have a a job mm-hmm. in order to have a platform of some kind, or if they're looking to go and work there, there's a great website, of course, named Antioch Journey. It's, it's at antiochjourney.com. It's a 31-day nuggetized mm-hmm. drip approach to learn about yeah. 
work as witness. So andyoctorney.com. And then there's another one that I've just learned about. It's also free. Hmm. You can actually uh, Google the words transforming work. And then I think if you put in London Institute, it finds it. But it's actually licc.org.uk is their website. licc.org.uk. Then you have to put slash our resources slash transforming work. But that transforming work course, it looks ideal. It's only about $12 to be uh, to get the leader's guide mm-hmm. and the DVDs and everything. Or you can take it for free there. And that's to help you live out your faith in the workplace, right. how to make your work as witness. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really great. So if you get started on all that and then do that Zoom A course, I think you'd be really well equipped. Mm-hmm. And that's not even having to go to Bible college. Right. You could right. get started just with those things. That would be my advice to somebody getting started, John. Fantastic. I love that. I love it. And read Brigada. And of course, read Brigada. Of course. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) That's right. And go back through the past issues. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Wealth of uh, (laughs) knowledge and information in there. So, yeah, definitely. No, and I love that these are, you know, free or low cost resources. Right. I think definitely spending some time in those different resources, I think very quickly, A, get a good understanding and B, really know if it's something that you feel cut out for or can see yourself doing. And I guess that sparks one little further question with regards to work as witness. I imagine a lot of your team out around the globe are, are probably doing it with that approach. Curiosity has always been, how do you balance, you know, kind of making sure your work side's happening as it needs yeah. to be to, to give you the platform, but also having making the time for family, yeah. for your, your ministry, your friend outreach. I mean, how have you seen these, that work with your team? These, these trainers, I'm sure you've seen it as well, John. They recommend that you shop for a job that lets you be a witness on your job mm-hmm. just simply because, you know, you can't shortcut your kids or your right. your spouse. So they train us to think about looking at your work as witness. So if you are careful enough to find a good job where you aren't hidden away in a private right. cubicle, but instead you're doing some kind of a job where you're out with people, mm-hmm. then your job becomes your witness. Right. Then that's a lot easier. But you're right. Over half of our workers worldwide, because of the nature of the place where they work, they have to have yeah. some kind of marketplace ministry, mm-hmm. business as mission, yep. or work as witness kind of approach. And we just encourage them to think about the fact that they're going to be witnessing to the people on the job. And then in their personal lives, as they play and where they spend their personal life, they're going to be witnessing just like anybody would in a local church. So if you stop and think about a person in a local church that works in a plant or a factory or a school, uh, that person has a 40-hour week job where they do witness. Mm -hmm. And then we ask them to witness to their colleagues in their private time on their days off. So we look at our missionaries just like that. They're working a job, hopefully, where they can witness. And then just like the person in the United States that tries to do a witness on days off, they're also witnessing on Mm -hmm. days off. That's the way we approach it. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Thank you. I think that helps frame it for me and for others as well, listening in. Because sometimes you wonder how people can fit it all in, but that that's great. Yeah. It makes sense. That's right. Yeah. Well, very good. Doug, thank you so much for your thank time you, and just for sharing from your experience over so many years. And yeah, it's really been a joy to meet you, as it were, <laughs> over this uh, technology that makes us feel like we're in the same room. And yeah, just super great. I, I hope you know, John, I get up every day. I look at my life as a landscape of places where I can learn. And Mm. I don't ever feel like that just because I've been doing something for 45 years in a row. Right. uh, I guess the one thing I've not done so far is quit. Yeah, there you uh, go. (laughs) But every day is a landscape to try to learn more. And I hope you Mm. and all the other subscribers to Brigada can keep helping us learn every day, John. That's that's the way I look at it. 
Amen. Yep. Well, let me just close this. I'll close this in prayer, Doug, and uh, That'd just be great. for Very you kind. and for all you're doing. Thank Father, you. thanks so thank much for this, for this time with Doug. I just thank you, Lord, for the way you've led him over so many years. And yeah, for his faithfulness to the task you've called him to. Lord, I thank you that he still has a heart to learn and grow and, and realizes there's so much more of you and what you're doing in the world that we can still learn about. And Lord, that's my prayer for this podcast, that for some of our listeners, it would be just uh, exposing them further to what you're doing through missions around the world. So Father, I pray your blessing over Doug. I just uh, pray for his leadership of team expansion and uh, that you would encourage him in that, that they would continue to see great fruit. Lord, just exciting to hear of of how they're uh, measuring these things. But Lord, we're thrilled too that behind each of these statistics, there's, there's real people whose lives are being transformed by the gospel. So, Father, we thank you for, for the work of Team Expansion. We thank you. Again, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your strategy to bring people to yourself. So, Father, I commit all these things to you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sean, for everything. My pleasure. Well, that brings my conversation with Doug to a conclusion. I hope that you are as encouraged as I was chatting with him. And just there's many resources he's flagged, and I'll have those in the show notes for you as well. Tune back in for my next guest next week. Find us online at missionchats.com.